So this show is carbon positive. We've partnered with Carbon Positive to allow us to get to that point. Listen to the show to find out how you also can become carbon positive. I have one GCSE. I'm dyslexic, I'm dyspraxic, and I have mild ADHD, which makes things rather exciting when trying to run a business. However, I have built multi-million pound businesses with no investment, and now I invest in others. And guess what? I love every minute. I'm Oliver Bruce. This is my podcast, Success is in the Mind, and welcome to The Journey, a podcast where we speak to founders and entrepreneurs from the businesses that you've always wanted to know more about. We delve into the formative years of their business lives and ask those with the inside track on startup and scale up life, the questions I wish I knew the answers to when I started out. As always, the more you share and subscribe to this podcast, the more people that'll be able to learn, enjoy and avoid the mistakes that so many make. So when should you raise VC funding? Should founders give all employees equity and what do acronyms banded around in boardrooms like SEIS, EIS, TAM and VAT actually mean to founders like you? We'll shed light on just how many founders are neurologically diverse, and we'll show you how to get through tough times when things inevitably get hard. I'm Oliver Bruce, and welcome to Success is in the Mind, the journey. Life's too short to work with people you don't want to. As you get bigger, I always use the analogy, as the business gets bigger, it does not get easier. It's like going to the gym and getting stronger. The weights just get heavier. Seeing the smile on some of the team members' faces when we have those wins and them celebrate with you, that's huge. I, I'm a big believer you've, you've almost got to earn your stripes. I think the quickest way to die in a small business is to, is to lack focus. Mate, thank you so much um, for coming on the show. Look, I want to know a bit about you. You were born and now you're here, but what's kind of happened in, in between? Oh, that's a very big question. Um, I've always sort of had an uh, affiliation with health, fitness through my teenage years and and also loved the idea of entrepreneurship and starting something, right? How cool is that to to build something tangible that, that you can see people enjoy mm-hmm. and in a way solves a problem? Um, so I, I sort of uh, have always been quite technical and into sort of engineering and problem solving um, and a lot of my education's around more mathsy numbers side of things. I'm not the best with words and and creative side of side of things. So yeah, my brain works very numbers numbers orientated. So that kind of led me down the path of of following following a world of of numbers and problem solving. Um, went to went to school, grew up in London, and, and ultimately I went to university in Nottingham where I studied economics. Um, and then my other passion when I'm not sort of weight training is cars. I am, I am sort of mad, madly obsessed with cars. Um, and, and that is sort of always, yeah, it probably will bankrupt me at some point, but, uh, but I love them. And I pursued a career with, with Aston Martin. So when I was about 21, joined that grad scheme, was with them for a little, just under three years learn a huge amount uh i think aston is a massive brand and but actually a relatively small business in in the automotive space and i really learned the value of 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 how powerful an amazing team and product can be and the importance of a supply chain that is rock solid and actually the brand is almost putting together those puzzle pieces and, and creating something but the supply chain and people around you are so key to any success uh, and failures. Um, so, so yeah, it was there. I really sort of upskilled in that stakeholder management. And towards the end of my time at, at Aston, where it was pretty fun, you know, I got got paid to to drive some drive some nice cars uh <laughs> through one of my road trips was through europe that was pretty amazing getting paid overtime to drive drive at aston um I'd do it for free yeah i was thinking the same thing but didn't have to um <laughs> but yeah that was that was i mean that was less than one percent of the job right it was it was it yeah. was a job nine to five and and i learned so much met some great people but really that was midlands based i wanted to i wanted to get back close to london where I grew up, where a lot of my friends were, and I wanted to start something in 
in the consumer goods space. So I spent quite a bit of time figuring out what that was, what that problem could be. And really, sort of, it's, it's very clear now, now I've been doing it for so long, why, how it all fell into place. Probably less clear at the time, but mm-hmm. really it was taking my, my passion and love for health and fitness and combining it with my passion for eating. <laughs> and um and and basically building products that could could really bridge bridge both and and um deliver without compromise so that's ultimately where misfits is now and has evolved to be um sort of future proofing sacking and 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 building products that helps bridge the gap between indulgence and health 100% and in terms of when you sort of transitioned then from from Aston into entrepreneurship you you founded Misfits but you focused on the kind of the women uh, or the women uh, of the fitness industry I suppose from a protein point of view what was the reason for, th- for that niche going down the sort of female protein bar branded sort of vibe so I think you, you got to rewind the clock a few years to circa 2016 which in the grand scheme of things is what six years ago ish um, it's not a long time ago but actually, huge amount has changed in the fitness industry and and in the food world. Um, and and when we first set out on this journey, the female side of the audience were not being spoken to or catered to. the The sports nutrition world was just blokes, hundred kilogram mm. men, uh, yeah, yeah, and and that's really all all it catered to. And over the last five six years. Um, it's amazing to see that you know this products and and services have flooded to this space and and, and now um, you know it's a lot more evenly uh, catered to with respect to to women and men. But that wasn't the case back then. So that was that was sort of the um, the the quick fix that my you know, I, I identified, which was like, everyone's catering to this group. Let's cater to another. Um, it had it it had its benefits. But it also had a lot of downsides to it, and and whilst we ultimately launched with that business early 2017, um, within about 18 months, myself and my co-founder Jacob, who um, founded both both businesses alongside, uh, were not overly enamoured with the space we were playing in. So we we took some yeah took some breathing space and time out and, and sort of figured out whether we want to continue in this. In the, on this trajectory, do something different, or just yeah, it'll just stop it altogether. Um, and really pleased to say that we 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 came together and really identified a different gap in a similar sort of wellness space. And that gap is is sort of where Misfits is now, which is um, more in food than sports nutrition, and uh, and and much more in the in the snacking world of things. And recognizing that snacking is evolving at a rapid pace. Uh, government legislation, uh, stuff like HFSS that has recently come into effect, is making traditional confec harder to buy, quite rightly. Um, and and um, so, over the next five, ten, fifteen years, it's probably not completely far fetched to think that you might have to buy a Mars bar on the black market for for five quid. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and as someone who loves loves their snacking. How cool would it be if we can create something that tastes as good, um, but yeah. delivers on 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 other verticals as well? So it kind of all yeah built into to the misfits that that you see today. And and those two three years for the original ones, they are so fundamental to where we are now. We've got a, we met some amazing suppliers and, and and partners that were crucial in 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 getting us to here and and just learned so much. So. I think I, I read a stat. It was something like ninety-three percent of consumer goods businesses, the product they find success with is not the product you start with. So we were one of the ninety-three percent. In terms, I suppose, of, of looking at rebrands and looking at how uh, product, etc., kind of does does change over time. I was looking yesterday at, at Lilt, and they're going through a rebrand themselves. But Misfits, when you pivoted from female-focused protein into, I suppose, mass-market plant-based uh, protein bars, you, you you dropped the S, didn't you, in Misfits? Yeah, my <laughs> friends always wind me up. We we went from three S's to two S's. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we were originally called Miss. Fits, yeah, quite clearly a, a pun, um, and probably quite a good name for a different business. But 
when we rebranded, we 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 wanted to change our name entirely, and we actually looked at, at three or four different names at the time. But Misfits was just was just a really great name. It, it, it embodies so much of what we what we stand by. It's all about boundary breaking, non-conformist, doing things different. Snacking is such an emotional occasion, and and Misfits really it, it, it triggers that for for a lot of people. It has in the past some negative connotations, but I think that's that's a fun challenge for us as a brand to really build positivity into it. So, yeah, um, we 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 stuck with uh, albeit new spelling, but we stuck with with misfits and I'm, I'm pretty pleased we did 100% it makes a lot of sense and you were, you were mentioning that you're more of a numbers guy than you are maybe a words guy which I suppose must must help when you're going through that sort of VC fund and and generating cash I suppose to to build the business your co-founder Jacob I'm assuming who is still still with you is he is he you know has he got different traits different skills or or are you very much both the same individual yeah, we. I don't think we necessarily knew the extent of our differences or similarities when we first started. We were, uh, you know, friends growing up, um, and so had that level of trust. But yeah, he's 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 completely different um, in in so many ways. Super smart individual. He thinks much longer term uh, than I do. Um, I'm thinking sort of about yesterday and tomorrow and he's probably thinking about you know 18 24 months down the line so that's probably our our biggest our biggest um complement true skill set is that i'm i'm sort of executing and and doing and he's he's thinking a lot a lot further into the into the future this episode is sponsored by Hux Health, and Hux Health is your insurance policy. It is your booster shot, the extra hour of focus, or indeed the gift of sleep after a very long day. It is your secret weapon, and it's your daily edge. And it's also a product that I use daily, and I swear by it. I use the hydration tablets, the nootropic capsules, and the sleep capsules. Head over to HuxHealth.com, where you can get 30% off all the products by using the discount code SUCCESS when ordering, because life is about your path and not the beaten path. Back to the episode. In terms of the development of the of of the product and, and looking into the future, how how did you develop the, the brand or the, let's say the product, the actual bar itself, both in the early days, but also with that sort of reimagination of what Misfits was going to be? Because that for most founders and people that are starting a business is one of the hardest parts of it is actually A, getting a good flavor and B, finding someone that can can do it properly and it costs a lot of money. Yeah. I'd certainly say it's an evolution. Um, so we had this idea and concept for a product and but we're not, we're not trying to completely pretend that we're inventing the wheel here, right? Um, there were we ultimately exist to take well-known love treats and apply a misfits formula. So we have a relatively, relatively easy job in saying, look, everyone loves a chocolate bar. Increasingly consumer, consumer demands expect and demand more from their chocolate bars. They want more function. They want less sugar. Um, and, and then other, other, other sort of additives like being vegan and, uh, added fiber, et cetera, are all, are all benefits. So we had that platform to build on. And then it was about basically trying to inject that functional and vegan element into an indulgent product that we knew consumers loved. Mm -hmm. And if we could try and maintain that taste to some extent, we knew we had a, you know, a winner. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was leveraging our, our network. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of, a lot of Googling, um, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of cold calling. Yeah. Um, and and finding partners and and that that, that can buy into your vision mm -hmm. and and give it a go. Um, but yeah, there's been so many times where we've had to sort of. Yeah, this is back. Uh, this is back when maybe I was 26, 27. You got to yeah. go in fresh faced and convince these 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 uh, old timers that you're the next big thing and and give us some of your your line capacity and your your product product development time. And that's not always greeted with uh, warmness. So again, it comes back to that first point of managing stakeholders. And, and I think a massive part to our success, and I think any any sort of entrepreneur's success is learning how to manage and influence people 
um, to get your desired outcome. Have you got any any tips or tactics in terms of how to manage and influence people? Obviously, it helps that you've been employed, which a lot of first-time founders maybe haven't been employed and they're fresh out of uni or, or they've just got an idea they want to run with. But what, what do you do? How do you influence people? Definitely everyone is an individual. So there is no there is no silver bullet. And there are people who are harder to motivate and influence than others. I would say that the key thing is aligning on incentives and, 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 and motivations. If you don't have that same ambition, i.e. someone wants to, um, someone has the best, the best capabilities to build the best bar in the world, but they're a mum and pop shop and they have absolutely zero ambition to produce more than X and, and they're very comfortable. They can produce the best bar, but if they don't have that same growth ambition, you have to call a spade a spade there. Um, and so, yeah, it's about, but equally, if they do have that ambition to grow uh, and then it's about you're aligned on your incentive, how can you find that common place to, to grow together and align on incentives? And it's just, it's just, it's, it's people at the end of the day. And without, without sort of overcomplicating it, it life's too short to work with people you don't want to. So being, being, picking up the phone and talking to them about something that isn't uh, isn't work uh, taking a, a genuine interest in whatever it is that, that is going on in in their life um, and and ensuring that you know what what you discover motivates them is what you're giving and it's not always money you know sometimes it is it is time or um, yeah lots of other things so it's it's um aligning on those is, is super critical. And in terms of influencing and motivating others, you had to influence and motivate yourself to a certain extent, I suppose. And, and Jacob, when you were looking at that pivot into Misfits as it is today, obviously, you know, you've built it into a, an eight-figure brand right now, right? You have a huge amount of upside. But when you were going through those conversations of do we just sack it off or do we keep going? You know, how did you get yourself into that headspace of this is where I want to be, I'm happy to push on rather than just throwing that towel in? Yeah. It, it comes down to belief and we are trying to build the modern day Cadbury's and I still have to motivate my, myself and my team. As you get bigger, I always use the analogy as the business gets bigger, it does not get easier. It's like going to the gym and getting stronger, the weights just get heavier and the problems get bigger and you have to be able to motivate yourself even more to get it to overcome the, the bigger hurdles. But for us, it was... It was exciting in the early days. Um, you know, I'd always say to any any entrepreneur starting out, enjoy the time where you are just in a shed developing and ideating and, you know, because then the second you take on revenue or investors, the next question is more revenue and, and, and it, it, it's sort of, it's relentless and and it's so important to sometimes step back and just, and I, I, I don't do it enough, but step back and enjoy the journey not just not just push push to that destination so for us yeah that that's been a big part of just sometimes stepping back recognizing what we're building why we're building it and and, and keep moving forward and you guys, you know, when we were speaking uh, a few weeks ago, obviously we, we touched upon the fact that you weren't necessarily profit making just yet, but arguably that's okay because you are going through that scale phase. You say you want to be the next Cadbury's, you need to inject VC money into it. In terms of as a startup founder or as an individual that's looking to raise capital, how do you put a business case together and go, look guys, don't worry about it. For the next five years, we're just going to lose a load of money, but actually we're going to grow the brand. Because for me, who's only ever built a business organically, it's very, it's a, it's a totally different mindset, right? It's it's a totally different way of running a company. Don't worry about the profit; it's just about the growth. How how do you deal with that? Yeah, I often ask myself that same question. A business is there to ultimately deliver deliver profits, and and that's not something Misfits has done has done um, very well in its first few years. But really, we you know we're building we're building a brand and. Growth is so key to building that moat around around a brand in, in a competitive space. So, um, food uh, is is an industry where really volume drives a lot of a lot of profit. Um, so that's been a, a key a key growth 
driving for us is just is revenue and our gross margin. If you've got those in a very strong place but are not profitable, most investors who like who, who sort of are aware of the category and and like the space mm-hmm. are pretty accepting mm-hmm. that um, you sell them on profit potential that we can make a profit, yeah. we will make a profit, and when we do, it will be um, very rewarding. Mm-hmm. But our our sort of uh, our, our key key performance metrics right now are, are growth and, and gross gross margin. And in terms of that GM, that gross margin, what what does that need to look like for an industry that, uh, such as yourselves? You know, for someone starting out, what what gross margin do they need to be need to be hitting? Every industry, every category is, is different. And within category, people will give different answers. For me, I think the North Star is to be in the 40s. Um, anything north of 40 is, is considered is considered very good. You're hitting 45, 50. That is, that is excellent, phenomenal. Um, anything sort of sub 30 is, is pretty weak. Uh, and you really want to be showing the potential to get Certainly north of 30, 35 pretty quickly if you're in that space. But, but yeah, the, the North Star is is really 40 and beyond. That's really interesting. And in terms, I suppose, of your scale, because you have scaled pretty well. In fact, this year, 2023, uh, one of the fastest growing food and drink brands in, in, in the UK, just one under this. So you're number two in the category. Um, so clearly pumping that cash in and scaling it from a brand point of view is working. What does that kind of mean for you guys this year that you are number two in the UK? Yeah, I mean, the first three years of Misfits has been rocket growth. We've grown quicker than any forecast we we, we could have made. Um, so it's amazing to see the brand grow from strength to strength and see people in, enjoying the product. I think in the grand scheme of things, we're still a pretty small business and we have big ambitions. So we're not we're not getting uh, ahead of ourselves by by any extent. Um, and just continue to to uh, make sure that the business is aligned on on strategy and and really focused on delivering it. I think you know we're we're someone who um whilst we've grown super quick mm-hmm. it can come at uh sort of I, I often refer like you're that really tall teenager. Yeah. People think you're sort of more mature than you are but actually you're just a tall 14 year old. <laughs> I never was I never was I can't relate. I was never that tall, fourteen-year-old. But I, that's I, I kind have, of I where I had that issue. I had exactly fine. that issue. So I get where you're going. So that's from. that's kind of where misfits, misfits. We sort of were. We grew super quick, and yeah. and now it's just so important to get the basics right, get the foundations in, yeah, and and that that will really help propel that next chapter of growth. So for us, that's that's where we'll, that's where it's so important to really cement that infrastructure because. If you're building on rocky foundations, it's gonna it's gonna topple down at, at some point. And those foundations are made up of loads of different things, whether it's you know, warehouse, team, product, manufacturing, cost control, as, as as we spoke about before. You have to get them all super tight so that we can propel over the next 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 two, three years and beyond. And some might say that, that hedging your bets and diversifying is a good way to protect for the downside because out of three different SKUs, for instance, two might work or one might work. But you know, you said trying to do everything in a company sometimes means that you do nothing. What what do you actually mean by that? Because, you know, are you just saying focus on one thing and do it well, or are you just saying don't hedge your bets at all? Yeah, I mean, I think the quickest way to die in a small business is to is to lack focus. So it's so important to be ruthlessly focused on what your strategy goals are in the business. Um, and for us, from a product perspective, as, as you're discussing, like we are a bar business and um, that provides food on the table. That, that, that's where the revenue comes from. And that's what we're focused around, really perfecting that product so that it's scalable to the masses. Um, and you know we've been definitely been guilty in the past of of, of losing focus, and I've, I've seen it firsthand where it it can cause so much ripple effect because it's it's the opportunity cost if you only have a finite amount of resource, which which we all do, right? Time, time, ultimately time and, and money. We have to pick very wisely where we're going to spend that resource, and the more focused 
we can be, the better. And I, I'm a big believer you've, you've almost got to earn your stripes. Uh, and, and for us, we we want to get to a certain stage before we start diversifying um, too much. But in terms of hedging our bets, like we're ultimately an omni-channel proposition. So in COVID, we were much more online focused. Now we're moving to a much more sort of brick and mortar presence because that's where people really shop our kind of products. So that's where we are nimble. Um, but but we you know we think we're in a category and, and pick a product like a, like a chocolate bar that is 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 pretty uh, is, is going to stand the test of time. Yeah, and they taste they taste damn good. But in terms of getting distracted, and it's something that I do regularly. I mean, if you were to look at a competitor and, and let's just take before they sold to Cadbury's, let's take Grenade and Alan Barrett. Right, they've now diversified into protein shakes and the like. And do you not look at that sometimes and go? We could give it a go. We could just do that and just see if that actually boosts it a little bit. Or do you, are you very, very clear on going, we are just simply not doing it, irrespective of how much ego um, uh, you know, it might generate for you guys? Yeah. No, I, Grenade is is a more mature, bigger business. And you know, I, I think they focused on the bar in the early days and probably earned their, earned their stripes before diversifying into the energy drink and the RTD that they've got. I would imagine the bar still makes up the um, the brunt of their business, uh, but the others are hopefully sort of margin additive or, or brand additive, et cetera. And, and, and that for us, you know, I'm actually staring at a, a new product here that will launch in the next couple of weeks. Um, and again, aligned with with Misfits and our view of, of um, Taking well-known tr- well-known treats and applying the Mrs. Formula, we're sort of applying that to uh, the wafer sort of Kit Kat style product, which um, yeah, it's probably ironic because I've just spoke about focus and doubling down on the bar, but ultimately this is a bar product. It's a bar type product, and whilst we're launching new flavors, this is a new texture, and we have we have developed it with with really that in mind. So we're super excited to to launch that. I think it's probably our most indulgent bar yet so um excited for the world world to give it a go and uh and yeah i think we've earned our stripes to launch it and and see how it goes so the ideation around creating that new sort of wafer focused product and then getting it to market in retail that you've already had success in is that a lot easier to go to somebody like holland and barrett or whatever and go look we've sold loads in you already just pick this one up and and put it in and hope you know and, and i'm sure it will sell or are there still sort of barriers that you need to need to jump over yeah there are definitely always hurdles but punching that first hole in the wall is definitely the most difficult now we are a trusted partner to a lot of the key retailers in the UK and have proven data behind us. Often it can be them being like, "How can we extend the range? How, how can we how can we get more distribution and, and work together?" So, yeah, but there's there's always hurdles. Um, they're, they're fun to negotiate with and 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 fun to deal with on a day to day. But you know, we're we're a we still have a pretty large online presence. Online has been crucial to our success to date, and and so. Um, the wafer will launch in in Sainsbury's, um, but then we'll restrict it to just online in the first 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 few months as well, because that's where we we sort of connect with our community closest and and can get that first hand data and and evolve from there. So so uh, yeah, if if you're in part of our online community and, and, and newsletter, those are the kind of benefits you get. You sort of get first access to a lot of new flavors and, and, and textures and products. And deals, so um, it's one to uh, one to definitely taste. I just wanted to say, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. And if you are, we'd love it if you could rate it, subscribe to it, and share it with friends and colleagues. As you know, the more reach that we get, the bigger the guests become, and the more knowledge sharing that we can do. To find out more, head over to successpodcast.co.uk. As a startup or SME, it can be hard to keep your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on 100% of the time. A past guest of the show and now series sponsor, Habu, offers solutions to businesses and organisations of varying sizes the ability to pick and pack your product from their D2C hubs across Europe. You can now stop asking your partner to help box up a recent order, and your living room will no longer be filled with boxes from floor to ceiling. Instead, the team at Habu will do all of this for you, and you don't need to worry about size. Habu helps start 
startups with orders of less than 500 parcels a week all the way through to larger organisations with more complexities. So speak to the team at hubu.com and quote success pod and see how they can help you. Back to the episode. So, mate, in terms of competition, obviously, it's quite a, it's quite a diluted, quite a competitive market. You've got Grenade, you've got Huel, you've got multiple other brands that are coming up through the ranks. You know, how do you differentiate Misfits from all of the noise out there? Sure. Yeah, I think in, in, in any space, you have to pick your white space and, and really differentiate. So for Misfits, what's been key to our success, everything inside the wrapper, the product that you're consuming, we are vegan, functional, and indulgent. And those three pillars are so core to our DNA and our, our success today and, and to the future. And there's very little else in the space that that really transcends all three and, and, and executes on three very well. A lot of a lot of um, businesses sort of uh, tick two of those three, maybe. Um, and so for us, that that's really key. Uh, and then from a brand perspective, you know, we we are. As I sort of said at the start, Misfits is 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 triggering, you know, selling emotion, not just not just a product. And and we're really sort of big in building and nurturing our our, our community and, and listening to them and, and and looking at them at, at eye level, which I think can really differentiate us from from a lot of our our competitors. And consumers consumers react well to it, and they that that sort of builds loyalty, and loyalty is is key to long term success. So. You know, those two things com- combine create quite a powerful, um, powerful sort of differentiator from from a lot of the other um, great competitors in the space. Mm-hmm. And I was interested when I was reading about the uh, fastest growing food and drinks brands in the UK that the top two weren't even drinks brands, but they were both vegan brands. It was this the vegan food company, and you guys obviously, do you, you know, you've you've really hit the nail on the head with regards to that that vegan world. But was that predicted at all, or was that just something you felt was the right thing to do because of the purpose behind it? I, I think both, really. You know, I I really think vegan is not a trend. Uh, and sort of data is pointing to to um, to it being here to stay, and increasingly consumers are are proactively seeking out uh, vegan alternatives. So, um, so that was that that's been big to our success, and a lot of consumers enjoy us because we are vegan alternatives to a lot of products. Um, so, yeah, and it's great to be in the presence of of a, an amazing brand like this on that on that list, uh, who also as as vegan and and uh, at its core pillar as well so um so yeah it's it's um it's instrumental in in who we are and we won't ever compromise on that and i think that's what our consumers love about us that they know anything they're buying from us is vegan whereas a lot of other brands they might launch two of their 10 range might be vegan but it's not part of their core it's sort of an afterthought because oh we'll we'll we'll, we'll get on this this, this this bike, but um, for us, it really is it really is core to everything we we uh, we build. Mm-hmm. So, how important is purpose then to a brand when you're starting it? Because you say about the brands that some are vegan and other parts of their SKUs maybe aren't vegan. You know, you you get a bit confused as to what their purpose actually is. Your purpose is quite clear, but how critical has that been to the success? Everything is a lot easier when you have a vision and a why. And for us as a brand it took some time to really clarify and communicate with clarity what that vision is. But we exist to future-proof stacking. And once you solidify that and communicate it out and, and people get behind it, it makes everything so much easier. It makes it easier to be positive and to believe and to be motivated because you have an end goal and an end destination. And sometimes if... if, if um, you don't have any idea on what that vision is and you're just doing it can be very difficult to stay on a track and and make sure that what you're doing is is heading towards something so um yeah having a purpose a vision has has been so so critical um especially as the team has grown and it can no longer live inside the founder's head but actually you have to get a team motivated and um and so yeah articulating that is has has been really really key to to driving the business forward 
And in terms of your structure as a business, and I know when we last spoke, um, we as a business were having two days out for our vision days, which I know you really enjoyed the idea of. And from a mental health point of view, do you have things in place? Because obviously, you are a health product in as much as you're making people feel good and, and, and be good, I suppose, in what they are consuming. But from a mental point of view, both in the business and you personally, you know, what do you have in place to, to help with people or help people, I should say? So we're a team of about 25. Um, it's grown grown pretty quick. And I think anyone who's sort of gone through that journey of 5, 10, 15, 20, is, they can really empathize that as, as the business grows, you get different personalities and, and people expect and demand different things. But for me, it's so important to bring your whole self to work and none of this kind of, this is my professional nine to five self. So I think that's the first sort of company value that we instill. Be entirely who you are, and and that's the best way to to excel. And I think with that comes transparency, and people are increasingly honest and candid with whether they're enjoying or hating, or 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 sort of yeah or anything in between. And and so we encourage that feedback loop and that that transparency, which means that if someone is struggling. They often come to me or maybe my COO, um, who is often the first first port of call, and and we will, you know, do what we can to support. You know, I think we are still a, a small growing business and and learning along the way, and want to instill a lot of these um, a lot of these sort of more formal measures. But I think for now, as 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 we move move forward that's one of the biggest things that's been key to to our people side of success which is just encouraging honesty mm -hmm. and are you still very much then involved in that in that day-to-day -day? with with 25 people i'm assuming you still have your finger in a lot of the pies or have you kind of taken a step back from some and gone actually coo you can deal with all of that bit and i'll deal with all of this bit because that's one of the hardest bits about scaling from 25 plus is that's when you start to have to have to a certain extent silos or at least sort of departments yeah, none of this is possible without an amazing team and people are just, people are everything right without without them there. It is no business. So um, I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing people and, and our commercial director, Katie, is just immensely formidable and and, and, and our COO is, is um, amazing as well. So yeah, over the last probably six months, I have weaned out of the trenches a little bit um, but I'm certainly still very much in the trenches, but I think just weaning out a little bit does help me as, as, as sort of founder and CEO to see a bit more of a macro picture and basically it, it, it makes me better at my job because I can, I can better navigate future problems, better set the strategy, ensure we are working to the strategy and not, and not deviating. So yeah, I've definitely noticed over the last six months, it's been, it's been very rewarding getting out a little bit and 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 ultimately making me better at my job do you get excited still when you come in is there still that element of we are really onto something here we've got a couple of years ahead of us of hard graft but we're really going to hit the nail on the head yeah especially so we're we're we work from the office three days a week and i feed off the energy like i, I love it when when everyone's in the office i get i get super excited and if there's like new products i'm always hovering around the product team anything i can try you know that's that's my bread and butter we are product and people at our core and, and I get so excited about new products. Um, so yeah, I'm still walking sometimes to think how cool is what we're building uh, and, and what we're trying to do here. And um, it's not always so easy to to come in and, and be, you know, bunny hopping in and, and, and sort of humming tunes. But um, <laughs> but yeah, in, in, in general, uh, I, I'm very fortunate that I love what I love what the business stands for. I love what what we're trying to build, and that makes it a lot more easy to um, to to keep motivated and excited about what we're doing. And you say you can't always bunny hop and hum on your way into the into the office. In terms of kind of support networks around you, because so many people look at the CEO or look at the founder and go, you know, they are the leaders. They must be okay. They lead by example. You know, you can't let your guard down at any point. But actually, behind closed doors, have you ever just sort of sat in your office and gone? This is just so tough. I need to talk to someone. I need to empty my thoughts onto somebody else so that they can kind of repackage them and give them to me. Have you ever hit a wall? Hundred percent. It is. Yeah. It is not. 
straight and to the right uh, starting a business. It is, it is super tough. And, you know, I am quite fortunate that there are people who I can call, whether it's friends or, or sort of mentors that I can, I can, I can chat to. Um, I think it's, it's definitely so important because you're right when you are the founder of a business and, and, and the CEO, I think people do sort of expect you to have the solution a lot of the time. Um, and a lot of all the time, and it can be, you know, someone said this and it's probably true to some extent, it can be quite a lonely role. Um, and then, yeah, so it is important to surround yourself with, with people who can listen and maybe give, give sort of good advice. Um, and equally just, I'm not, you know, I'm someone who, who I don't mind sort of just putting myself in a room on my own and just thinking it through and trying to solve it. So I often do that. Um, and then I have, I have a, you know, C-suite who I, I, I trust immensely and, and, um, you know, if I can't solve something, then, then I know, I know together, uh, they will, they will have a much better shot at it than me. This episode is sponsored by Hux Health, and Hux Health is your insurance policy. It is your booster shot, the extra hour of focus, or indeed the gift of sleep after a very long day. It is your secret weapon, and it's your daily edge. And it's also a product that I use daily, and I swear by it. I use the hydration tablets, the nootropic capsules, and the sleep capsules. Head over to HuxHealth.com, where you can get 30% off all the products by using the discount code SUCCESS when ordering, because life is about your path and not the beaten path. Back to the episode. So in terms, I suppose, of what your most, your proudest moment and of misfits has been, you know, obviously you've got through a pandemic, you've rebranded, you've grown it, you've scaled, you've raised investment, you're now an eight-figure plus brand, number two in the UK. You know, what what is the proudest moment, irrespective of all the numbers? I think some of the, some of the um, times where I've been just out in the wild as i call it and just seeing people <laughs> enjoy the product yeah and you know they have no idea that i'm walking behind them and that's that was my that was my baby right um yeah. that is my baby and so sometimes just as is as simple as that just seeing seeing someone enjoy the fruits of your labor um i would say is one and then the other is not not necessarily like i can point to a certain time but it just We've had big wins as a business over the last years. We've also had big, big downs. But seeing the smile on some of the team members' faces when we have those wins and them celebrate with you, and they care about it as much as as much as I do, that that's huge. That's 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 wicked to see your team. You know how cool is that to see them as motivated and driven and, and excited and happy uh, as you are. So. So yeah, definitely, definitely seeing the team and individuals happy at their own successes. What were some of those downs that you'd experienced over the last couple of months? I thought you said this this podcast was only going to be an hour, hour and a half long. So um, <laughs> we we might we might have to um, we might have to uh, significantly extend. <laughs> Join um, us for series two. Yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah. No, it's look, it's 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 relentless um, work. It is never up and to the right. Uh, whether it's a delivery to a key retailer that that goes awry, or uh, you know, an investor is is poking about where um, where they might not sit, and, yeah, might sort of overset the mark, um, or people in the team are are, are finding it difficult, um, and and suppliers are haggling and prices are going through the roof because because of you know, what's going on in the world. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that can, can cause issues. Um, for us, it has been, you know, the last nine, 10 months, the world has been weird for different reasons than the world was weird, weird the few years before. And so, you know, in the, in the three, four years we've been growing this, you know, we've seen Brexit, we've seen COVID, we've seen, um, Russia invade Ukraine, um, as has everyone. And I think you just have to be extra resilient to be able to deal with 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 what comes your way because it's it it is just um it's a pretty pretty awkward time and quite hard to predict so you have to be able to be nimble and flexible and 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 have a product that consumers still want throughout all of this and and um ensure you got 
got good resource, human and capital to to wave anything that comes your way. In terms of setting goals then and growing it, um, you know, from now and forwards, do you have metrics and KPIs in place for you personally and the business? Like when you say, when you go to the gym, you lift more, etc. It gets heavier, it gets harder. Do you have things, even if it's as little as I just want to have a day off, do you have those kind of metrics in place for you? Yeah. So, you know, I report to our our investors, our shareholders and, and, and the board ultimately, and, and we align on a, on a, business strategy and within that strategy we have core tenets that the business needs to focus and, and deliver on um and then so those are kind of what i would call our, our our rocks our sort of um not necessarily quantifiable objectives and then other stuff are key metrics like revenue and margin and headcount and margin chain um, and all those kind of kind of fun things and that are so crucial to to the business as well. So as we've grown and taken on more investment, um, those those sort of processes have become more formal, which I actually I, I sort of quite enjoy because they they make they make you as a business think differently. They make you accountable, um, and and so it's it's important. So you know, we've we've matured a lot over the last year. And put in put in those um, objectives and and key results in place, and every everyone in the business has those those metrics, different obviously different ones, all trying to drive drive the business forward to align to the strategy. And not that everyone does, but I I'm really trying to encourage that everyone sort of prints that out and has that at their at their desk, and so every every day every week they're reminded of really what 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 um from a metrics and work point of view what defines success then obviously more on the sort of people side um you know there are other there are other things in place but but yeah it ensures it comes back to that point of ensuring focus and, and making sure that if you're spending a lot of time on x then x is is a key deliverable for you and, and that's that that makes sense and aligns to the business goals. So as a, let's say a second time founder then, let's just say Misfits grows and you exit and you've got to start another business all over again. What would you what would you kind of do then from day one, having learned what you have learned over the last couple of years? Would you would you set the groundworks and put KPIs and metrics in place straight away? Or would you just try and iterate and see where it goes before kind of consolidating? Yeah, I think probably the latter. Like the, the fun in starting a business is that kind of gut instinct you know, in terms of data, you don't have anything tangible in the business or product you're doing. Obviously, you have competitors and, and you can do your research. But yeah, I'm I'm a big believer and I still do it. Like I I just I love going on my gut and my instinct. Um and I think that's been so important to to some of our big successes. And and so I definitely wouldn't want to lose that in in another business. So I would definitely find a product or service I am passionate about because I think that's so important because it's 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 just so difficult and if you're just not that fussed about what it is you're doing it's going to be difficult to stay motivated and then and then yeah within that let that passion bleed out in gut and instinct and, and evolve from there and then there is an inflection point at business where it gets to either a certain size or there are certain shareholders etc that um the that mean you need you need more accountability and with that comes more of the the processes that can often be red tape but i think it's important to to deliver them in a way which is is not just a burden but actually can help help progress and accelerate you in in your role and the journey of building a business isn't easy as we've alluded to but if you did have to do it again and you had exited would you have the energy and the want to go back into business or or, or is it something that you just don't want to do again because of how difficult it's been so far. Yeah, I definitely, I, I do, I do love it, a hundred percent. It gives me energy. I thrive with it. Um, but it, would I do, you know, another consumer goods fast growth kind of business? I think, I don't know. <laughs> Ask me in a few more years' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I would, I would love, I would love, love nothing more. Early stage investment and and um, advisory and help helping brands grow from sort of one to ten, but not necessarily naught to one. Yeah. Um, 
would I would love I would love to do, but uh, it, you've got to earn your stripes again. So for me, it's it's pretty focused on on misfits, um, and and then hopefully you know one day in the future I will be in a position where where I can be in that place to to really help other people do it. And to be fair, I would love to be that investor that I would want on the other side. Um, and so I think that's sort of yeah me in a few years I would I would love to be that person um for for a, a, a relatively young business that can that has has done the blood sweat and tears to some extent yeah I think that for me is exactly the same in terms of that fun of a startup and that investment point I suppose even if you are an angel or or you started it yourself is quite exciting it can get quite top heavy and quite not monotonous but it can just get quite busy for the sake of being busy if you know what I mean there's a lot of noise do you have a way of kind of filtering out that noise at the moment when you just have loads of crap being thrown at you how do you just deal with that and go no no I'll deal with all that three weeks time this is what I'm focusing on now it doesn't come naturally to me I'm I'm sort of naturally a bit of a fire firefighter and I think my role is less about firefighting and more about building firehouses to put out eventual fires um so i just yeah i have to remind myself and kind of stay stay in my lane to some extent but there are stuff that just it's it's a very emotional job being a a, a founder ceo and it it's it's it is difficult to sometimes tear that emotion away from some some things which you want to address um especially when it's it's that emotion in me that has yeah won those uh uh, partnerships or listings or relationships or whatever it is it's it's um yeah you just sometimes gotta take the the good with the bad but but um it comes back to just focus is this problem if it's if it's going to be here in two weeks does that damage the the core focus and strategy of the business if it does then it probably needs dressing if it doesn't it, it can wait as a startup or SME, it can be hard to keep your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on 100% of the time. A past guest of the show and now series sponsor, Habu, offers solutions to businesses and organisations of varying sizes the ability to pick and pack your product from their D2C hubs across Europe. You can now stop asking your partner to help box up a recent order, and your living room will no longer be filled with boxes from floor to ceiling. Instead, the team at Habu will do all of this for you, and you don't need to worry about size. Habu helps start Startups with orders of less than 500 parcels a week all the way through to larger organisations with more complexities. So speak to the team at hubu.com and quote success pod and see how they can help you. Back to the episode. And in terms of then um, Misfits, the future of Misfits, if you will, apart from the wafer-thin product that you are releasing, what what else have you got in the pipe that's going to take you from your 10 or 15 million pounds to 30 or 40 plus? Yeah, so... We've got a huge amount, so we kind of alluded from a product perspective. We're really focused on on the bars and, and different flavors and textures. Um, from a, a channel perspective, we haven't spoken much about it, but the US is a is a big focus for us. So um, the US is is five x the population of the UK. It's it's um, much more mature when it comes to the the snacking world, and they're actually the single biggest territory for snacking in the world, which probably doesn't doesn't surprise me overly, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're sort of we're pretty passionate about we've got a great product and 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 brand, and I think in this increasingly globalized world, we want to we want to um, sort of tread into the tread territory into into the US. So um, the 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 next next few months and years is, is is super exciting, and it's definitely doubling down on some of our early successes in the UK and, and really cementing ourselves as, as a sort of a big a big snack player here, and and now starting to um to yeah head over transatlantic and uh, see what we can do in America. That's very exciting. Have you reaped any of the rewards from the growth thus far, or are you still very much you know compounding what you've put into it and, and not yet? recognize the growth because so many founders do de-risk at certain points when they're funding yeah i think it's important to, to de-risk it's not it's not sort of a sign of you don't believe in the future it's just you know for so years i wasn't remunerated to to the level of, of work i was putting in which was entirely fair because yeah. the business the business couldn't afford it so um yeah I've, I've taken um taken some 
some rewards over the last last um, last few years. But um, yeah, I'm I'm still the the, the biggest shareholder and, and heavily invested in in this business to to make it a success. And it comes back to my earlier point of like I'm super motivated to to achieve what we set out to do. So that's that is 100% my focus. No, it's brilliant. And when you sent through the bars to the office, although there was a multiple of different flavors, they all went within about a week. So yeah, you kept the office fed. So thanks so much for that. But in terms of keeping the nation fed and indeed America, where can I go to buy your wafer thin protein bar? And where can I go to buy mi misfits normally? The wafers, the wafers will be coming to a Sainsbury's <laughs> near you. But in it's sort of, yeah, in the UK, we're stopped in um, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Asda, WH Smith, Ocado, uh, and 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 a few more, but but also Amazon and website are a great place to to get get them as a case rather than an individual bar, and and then in the US again online and Amazon are our, our sort of main main channels. But we have um, we have a few stockists we'll hopefully be un unraveling in the next few months. So um, yeah, we'll stay tuned for that one. Perfect, I love it, Henry. Thank you ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And here's a little message from our carbon offset partners, Carbon Positive. So, hey, Andrew, I just, I thank you so much for joining us. We obviously wanted to introduce you because you guys are happily uh, supporting us from a carbon positive point of view, trying to get the, the podcast carbon positive over the next 12 months. But I wanted you to tell the listeners why you chose this podcast and, you know, what's so special about carbon positive from a non-for-profit point of view. So we decided to choose success in the mind podcast for a couple of reasons it's not necessarily our absolute forte because of uh, our position being a being a not-for-profit but uh, it definitely aligns with some of the aspects that we do uh, and that we want to support podcasts with in particular we want to make it easy for podcasts to be able to to be able to become carbon positive and to be able to make their podcast environmentally friendly and show their listeners that they have a social conscience. We understand that it's difficult for people and it takes a lot of time sometimes and we wanted to give podcasts the tools to be able to calculate and offset their carbon footprint throughout their whole podcast, which goes from everything from production to their listeners across the world, and to be able to offset that footprint and become a carbon positive podcast. So, I mean, for us, it's, it's something quite close to our heart. From a business point of view, we're very much focusing on becoming carbon neutral. Now, with regards to the podcast, you guys are kindly helping us along the way of becoming carbon positive. So 120% uh, uplift on, on that, essentially. Just talk to me about how you're going to make our podcast carbon positive over the next 12 months? We essentially use an algorithm to calculate the carbon footprint of every podcast. So with that algorithm takes into account lots of different factors, basically everything from uh, listener location, listener device choices, global electricity consumption. For example, with the device choices, if someone was to listen to a podcast on a mobile phone, it's 600 times less energy intensive than if they were to listen to it on a laptop or computer, for example. So we'll take all of that information and we'll create a custom plan that will be specifically tailored towards successes in the mind. That will help us in two ways. It will help us to make sure that we can keep really up-to-date statistics for every single podcast and it will also give us a good idea to make sure that the algorithm is calculating efficiently you know you're a non-for-profit business b um i don't think you've necessarily worked with podcasts necessarily like ours before so it's really exciting to be on that journey with you helping you guys do it but but similarly sort of seeing what you guys want from us equally no you are you are um absolutely our first major case study which is super exciting for us because it really gives us some in-depth data that we can use to help every other podcast 80 to 85 percent of the podcasts that are produced will be able to offset their carbon footprint for less than the price of a takeaway coffee every month 
we see podcasting as a it's quite a young industry which means that we have a unique opportunity to be able to gain there early and to support podcasts to become carbon positive and make podcasting the world's first carbon positive medium it's properly exciting to to be on that 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 journey with you and i know you guys are based out in switzerland and we're obviously based in the uk but to be able to come together remotely is is very exciting and to be able to see our podcast become carbon positive over the next 12 months for me um is just another reason to 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 get involved in it so thank you very much for asking us to get involved in terms of people that are listening to to this show and every other show where can they go to a find out more about carbon positive um, and b what do they need to do to get in touch the place to find out more would be to go to our website www.carbonpositive.com but then as we all know every business comes with unavoidable carbon footprint we understand that offsetting isn't the absolute answer but we can make the industry better first of all and then what is unavoidable footprint we can try and offset there'll be a tips and tricks page on the website which will help to reduce first of all and then there's a really short little page on there that you can input two pieces of data monthly downloads and average listening time and then within two minutes a podcast can become carbon positive i think it's worth saying as well the um the footprint of the podcasting industry is 1.7 billion kilograms of carbon per year just because that doesn't really mean anything to me a year ago but now it does it's equivalent to 2 million flights from london to new york every year or alternatively a flight every 15 seconds it's a drop in the ocean as far as the world is concerned but if we can reduce that and obviously eventually bring that down to zero or even bring it into the positive section which is what we're hoping to do then we hope that that should make a difference wow 15 flights a second carbon positive i love it i'm glad we're involved and thank you so much for thinking of us andrew thank you very much oliver for speaking to me 